0: Well, husbands, let me ask you a question. Do you remember the moments that you proposed to your wife? Where were you? Were there other people there? What were you feeling? I remember the day that I proposed to Christy like it was yesterday. I was walking to my car after my classes at the University of Kentucky, and as I'm Walking, I'm just concentrating on what I'm going to be doing that evening, and I'm going to be proposing to my, my future wife, and I'm just, I'm so focused, and all of a sudden, something wet hits me in the shoulder and splashes up onto my neck, and it just, it stops me, and I'm perplexed, and I look up, and on a telephone wire is a bird, and I look at it, and it's almost like he's laughing at me. And so I thought, boy, I hope this is not an omen of what is coming later tonight. (laughs) But Christy and I had been serving in student ministry together. She was the the ministry assistant, and she was discipling teenage girls, and I was the student ministry intern, and so that night I had the opportunity to preach. And so I preached from John chapter 13 of how Jesus washed his disciples' feet. So to illustrate this, I, I invited Christy to come up onto the stage with me. And I began washing her feet. And with tears streaming down my face, I looked at her and I said, Jesus is number one in your life, and I want to be number two. Will you marry me? And it was just a significant moment in which we got to display before these teenagers that we had poured our lives into. We were pointing them to Jesus even through the proposal. And I was wanting to set the pattern of what biblical husbandhood looked like. That a leader of his home is a servant leader indeed. You know, it's interesting when you look at God's design for husbands, he designed us to lead. When you go back to Genesis chapter 2, you see the type of leadership that God calls Adam to, where he is to work the garden, he is to labor it, he is to exercise dominion over it. And yet the perfect example for biblical leadership is not found in the first Adam, it's found in the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who through his own servanthood, his human his humble leadership, he got to the point where he was on his knees washing the dirty feet of his disciples. Even the disciple of the one who would betray him, Judas Iscariot. And in John chapter 13 verse 15, he says, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. You see, all disciples of Jesus are to follow Jesus' example in serving. And yet, for husbands in particular, we are to exemplify humble servant leadership within the home. But, men, we've got a problem. We're selfish. A part of the, the fall and the human, excuse me, the sin nature that we have inherited from our first father, Adam, is that our hearts are bent towards selfishness. Uh, We have this me-first mentality. I love this sentence that Tim Keller writes in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. He says, if two spouses each say, I'm going to treat my self-centeredness as the main problem in the marriage, you have the prospect of a truly great marriage. You see, the problem is, husbands, we tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought More often, we're thinking of of a me first, uh, of what do I want? Even when we were single, we had our own money, we had our own schedule, we had our own rhythm of life. But when you entered into the marriage covenant, your selfishness is on full display. But here's reality, husbands. We are the chief sinners in our home. Therefore, we are to be the chief repenters we are to be the one who are setting the pace of what it means to turn from sin and selfishness and to turn to Jesus for the grace to march forward. But for us, we look ultimately to Jesus and what he did for us at the cross. You see, at the cross, Jesus modeled what humble servant leadership looked like. You see, the selfless one gave his life for our selfishness. So when husbands look to Jesus and sacrificially love their brides the way that Jesus loves his bride, the church, it is then that your marriage will glorify God and will work for your good. That is Simon Peter's point that he's driving home in 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to First Peter chapter 3. We've been going through a sermon series as a faith family through the letter of First Peter. And we've taken a, a break from this big overarching story. But for the last two weeks, we've been looking at this idea of an imperishable marriage. A marriage that God designed between one man and one woman for life. We have seen the roles that God has called women to play as a, as a wife, that indeed you are to submit like Christ. You are to cultivate the character of Christ. You are to uh, look into the past and learn from those who've gone before you, and you are to imitate their example. But now Simon Peter pivots and he turns to address husbands. Now this week, I've spoken with several men from our church who said, you know what, I'm not going to be there on Sunday. And I'm like, well, what's going on? Are you washing your hair? Like, what's, like what, what's the excuse? Well, I, I've just got something going on. Well, the good news is we have live stream at 930. Do I need to call your wife and tell her? Okay? So I don't know. It's like this idea of like, oh, my goodness. Now it's the husband's turn to get beat up by, by Kenneth. I'm sitting here thinking, your wife has had to endure the first six verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. I think you can handle verse 7. But is that not what we do as husbands? It's like the wife has to deal with our, our clothes on the floor and our snoring, and she has to deal with childbirth, and then we, and then we stub our pinky toe, and we have to like start thinking, okay, I'm gonna, what are my funeral arrangements going to be? Like, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm going to make it through this. But you see, what we see here in the text is Simon Peter addressing husbands head-on to describe what leadership looks like. So men... Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. The Scripture says, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. For the past several weeks, we've been asking the question, how can I be the wife that God has called me to be? Well, now we're going to ask the same question, but we're going to ask that to husbands. How can I be the husband that God has called me to be? Well, you see, husbands lead. Your role within the marriage relationship is that of a leader. But Kenneth, how? Well, what does that look like for me to lead my wife? Well, let me show you in the text three ways that you lead your wife. The first is this. Husbands lead with humility. Verse 7. Simon Peter says, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. That phrase, in the same way, verse 7, Peter, he's already used this in verse 1 as a reference for wives. So just as Jesus in the gospel is the example for wives, as we saw in the end of chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, likewise, in the same way, husbands follow the example of Jesus. The Apostle Paul also points husbands to Jesus as their model for leadership. In Ephesians chapter 5, he writes, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. You see, husbands are to lead their wives in the same way that Christ leads and loves his church. Just as Jesus willingly laid down his life for the sake of his church, so too are husbands to sacrificially be willing to lay down their lives for the good of their bride. You know, what's interesting is how Jesus is the example for both the husband and the wife. Christy and I were talking about that, that truth this week, is that wives look to Jesus' submission to his father for how they are to submit, and husbands, we look to Jesus' leadership of his church for how we are to lead, But in both cases, both the husband and the wife are looking to Jesus for how they are to function within the marriage relationship. What's amazing is as both couples are looking to Jesus, they're modeling Jesus in the example that he has set for us. It's amazing how he gets the glory. He is the one that we are looking to for how we are to relate with one another. But then notice verse 7, that Peter says husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way. That word for understanding, it means to know by experience. Now now the, the husband is to live, he is to dwell with his wife with a personal knowledge of her. Husbands are to know their wives personally. They they live with this understanding. That word shows up in the Greek Old Testament several times. But every time it shows up, it's used as a reference to a sexual relationship. So here we see Simon Peter driving husbands to understand their wives, to be close, to be intimate, to, to know the heart of their bride. So when God brought Adam and Eve together for the sake of marriage... God's math looked a little different than the math that we have today. Because in marriage, one plus one equals one. No longer are there two, but you are now one flesh. The two of you come together as one. That God has taken two and said you're no longer separate, but you are together forever in a new covenant. But notice verse 7 that Peter is placing the responsibility for intimacy not on the wife but on the husband. The husband is to lead out, verse 7, with living with your wife in an understanding way. So if there's a lack of closeness, if there's a lack of transparency and intimacy within marriage, it's incumbent upon the husband to pursue his wife. You see, men, we are to take the initiative. We are to be active in setting the thermostat for the emotional and sexual and relational temperature in our homes. So here's the deal. If there's a lack of closeness in the relationship between a husband and wife, don't place the blame primarily upon your wife. There are exceptions, but there are exceptions. The principle is husbands pursue their wives, which means the husband is to be the resident expert on his wife. You know what makes your wife laugh. You know what makes her cry. You know what her passions and dreams are. You know what her favorite ice cream is and the kind of makeup she wears. You know where her tickle spots are and you know what type of deodorant she wears. Like you have a closeness. You understand her. You know her. You are well acquainted with her. Husbands, every day you are in the classroom. And you are getting a PhD, and your dissertation is on your wife. You study her like a student. You're seeking to truly understand her and what makes her tick and how she functions and leads. So, Kenneth, how do I get better at that? Husbands, let me give you two questions for you to ask your wife. And I want to encourage you to ask these questions regularly. First question is, what can I do to make you feel loved? I ask this question to Christy periodically, and I keep getting the same answer. Make me breakfast. She does not like mornings. You know, if she could sleep in till 9 or 10, that would be her, her, her dream. That would be amazing. But with five screaming kids, that doesn't happen very much. But the role that she, she sees me playing is that she says, Kenneth, you really are showing me that you love me when you help take care of the kitchen in the mornings just so I can brush my teeth and have a moment, okay? So that's how I I love my wife. Husbands, ask your wife, what can I do to make you feel loved? The second question, how can I make your life easier? You're asking that question, what's going on? How can I serve you better? I've got a lull in my schedule and, and I wanna take some time to really turn my heart and my affections towards you. What can I do to help carry the load that you're carrying? Husbands, one way you can live with your wife in an understanding way is to understand the emotional stress and the weight of responsibility that your wife feels when it comes to raising children. Just as you feel the stress of working hard at work and meeting quotas and making that deal and making sure you're doing your very best in the workplace, that stress that you feel She feels the exact same way when it comes to feeding children well, making sure they're dressed well, making sure that they're getting their homework done, making sure they're making doctor's appointments. And so if you can look for ways to help serve her and to care for her, that is a way that you get to display the gospel. You are living with her in an understanding way. It is a terrifying thought for many wives to think that maybe she's raising a psychopath. She needs your help. And a way that you can serve her is coming alongside and helping her carry the weight of responsibility. When we hear of Jesus humbling himself and giving his life for his bride, many of us would gladly do that. Most husbands would raise their hand and say, I'll take the bullet for my wife. I will gladly step in front of a truck to protect her. I'm willing to give my life. And that is a good and godly desire. Yet as a husband, as you're so willing to give your life for your wife, why won't you take out the trash? Why won't you do the dishes without being asked? If you're truly willing to give your life for your wife, pick up a mop. Be willing to serve. You want to understand her. You serve not as a dictator, but as a humble servant. Just like Jesus, this is how you lead. But secondly, what we see in the text is that husbands lead with muscle. Verse seven, Peter says, Live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner. Some translates use the phrase a weaker vessel. Now that weaker vessel doesn't mean that she's weaker spiritually. It does not mean that she's weaker intellectually. It does not mean that she's weaker emotionally. You see, Peter is not targeting women as being inferior to men. Peter's point is that the wife is physically weaker than her husband. She's just not as physically strong for the most part. Now this isn't a negative Peter isn't knocking wives because of their lack of physical prowess, but rather he's giving a word of instruction to husbands. Husbands, God has made you physically stronger than your wife, therefore you must never, verse 6, use your physical strength as a means of intimidating your wife. Men never use their physical strength to harm or to hurt the bride that God has given to them. Paul says in Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Well, here Peter is saying, Husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. Okay, lead with humility. And you're, you're physically stronger than her. So re- remember, you don't hurt her. She's God's little girl. You see, God does not take lightly when there are those who physically hurt those who are weak in society. Especially women and children. You see, the leadership you are to provide is that you leverage your strong muscles for the sake of gentleness. It's kind of like the difference between using paper plates and fine china. Sometimes at our house we'll eat with paper plates just because hashtag we got five kids. And so we'll we'll throw pizza slices and we'll throw them around and the kids start using them as frisbees and we can throw them away and hey, dishes are done and away we go. But then there's times where you bring out the fine china. You're gentle, you're careful. When it comes time to to, to wash it, you don't start flinging it into the dishwasher. You take your time to make sure it's clean. You see, husbands, we are to treat our wives in the same way. Just as you handle fine china, that is how you are to treat your bride. You use your physical strength for the the benefits, for the good of your bride. You see, one of the, the desires that I have for my heart, that I pray for my sons regularly, is that they would be tough and they would be tender. They would use their physical strength for the good of their neighbor, but yet they're willing also to be tender and gentle. We see Jesus, who modeled this perfectly, who's willing to physically protect his temple as it's being taken advantage of, and yet he welcomes children into his arms. You see, this is the model for husbands, is that we're both tough and we're tender. We treat our wives with gentleness. So husband, you treat your wife the same way that Christ treated you. You see, he gladly endured the... the, the cruel punishment. He took the harshness that we deserved. And in return, he modeled patience and gentleness and tenderness. He was the gentle lamb who was crucified on a cross. He was treated harshly so you don't have to. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, He begins to cultivate the character of Christ. And so as you're walking with Jesus, you're now full of the Holy Spirit. And a fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. You see, a mark that you belong to Jesus is that you use your physical strength for the benefit of your wife. Don't miss this. God designed the husband to lead, love, provide, and protect his wife. Men, God has given you physical strength to protect your wife, to serve your wife, never to harm your wife. You see, true strength is using the muscles that you have to protect those who don't. So husband, we use our muscles for the sake of gospel chivalry, of being servant leaders like Christ who used his strength for the good of those who are weak. Third and finally, we see here in the text that husbands lead with respect. Verse seven, Peter says, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. The phrase, showing them honor, it means just to treat your wife with respect. Why? Because verse 7, they're co-heirs of the grace of life. Wives who are in Christ will inherit the same eternal life as their husband. This is good news. So, wives, you too receive, receive the same eternal life. You also gain heaven and an inheritance just like your husband and here Peter is saying, listen, treat your wife with respect because guess what? She's a co-heir. She is seated with Christ in the heavenly. She has an inheritance and she will be with you. If she is in Christ, she will be with you in heaven. You see, wives are co-equals with their husbands, is Peter's point. In, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul says, There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one, In Christ Jesus, wives are not spiritually inferior to their husbands because they have an equal standing before God through Jesus. They'll miss this truth. The ground is level at the cross and the wedding altar. If your wife is in Christ, she inherits the same eternal life as you do. Therefore, husbands, this is your mission. Your job description is to prepare your wife to meet Jesus. You labor every day to prepare her to hear from the lips of Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant. The way that you and I as husbands lead is we are pointing our wives to Jesus and we are seeking to cultivate within them this passion for Jesus, this knowledge of Jesus in which we want them to hear Jesus say, well done. That's what we work for. We don't work for a paycheck. We don't work for attaboys. We don't work for the fame of our name. We want to present our wives to Jesus mature and complete in Christ because they are co-heirs of the grace of life. So you honor her. You respect her. You're never harsh with her. You don't belittle her. You don't curse her. You don't hurt her because this is God's precious child. And guess what? She doesn't belong to you anyways. She belongs to the Lord first. And God has entrusted her to your care and to your leadership for your provision and your protection. And so as a husband, you labor for her good so that on that day when she sees Jesus, she can stand there ready to meet him with joy because you as her husband have prepared her for that moment. If you don't, verse 7, God will reject your prayers. Isn't that interesting? He says, if you don't love your wife, if you don't respect her, if you don't show her honor, God will not hear your prayers. You see, your spiritual growth as a believer is directly connected to how you love your neighbor. And the neighbor that you are to love is the one who is the closest to you who lies in bed next to you at night. You see, your growth in the gospel is directly connected to how well you are honoring and respecting and loving the wife that God has entrusted to you. So that being the case, what does that look like practically? Let me give you five quick ways, five quick ways that you can honor your wife. Number one, encourage her. Encourage her. Proverbs 31 is filled of husbands praising his wife for her character. Encourage her, be her biggest cheerleader, champion her. I have never met someone who's had too much encouragement. People are always needing words of life spoken to them. And husbands, it's free. Doesn't cost you a dollar to put your arm around your wife and to speak words of life and encouragement into her. Number two, pray for her. Regularly, husbands, put your arm on her shoulder and you pray for her. What I'm modeling is not just this outward appearance of religiousness to my children, but my children are watching. And so when they see me put my arm on my wife and I begin praying for her, what's interesting is they all kind of come in close. There's an intimate moment that takes place in our family. There's a closeness Because the husband, the leader of the family, is leveraging his voice and pouring out his heart on behalf of my bride. I'm also modeling for my sons what biblical husbandry looks like. So encourage her. Pray for her. Number three, pursue her. When you were dating, you would do anything for her. You would drive across the country. You would buy lavish gifts. You would do silly things. When you got married, what happened? I think it's a combination of things, probably career and kids, T-ball and a mortgage. But we can get away from that first love. We can get away from that, that moment when you remember, oh, my goodness, what, what, I would do anything for her. So men pursue her, go after her. Maybe it's flowers, maybe it's chocolate, maybe it's text throughout the day, hey, I'm praying for you and I love you so much. You're looking for creative ways to serve her. My wife loves handwritten notes. And so I, 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 me, I'm just like, whatever. But for her, she's like, oh, that's a big deal. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's knock these things out. Man, serve her. Look for ways to pursue, pursue her heart. Number four, defend her. You gotta defend her. Okay, when your children, not if, when your children raise their voice at her, husbands, you step in and leverage the God-given voice that he has given to you. You have a deeper voice to leverage for the sake of hushing your children. My children seek to raise their voice at my wife. I step in and I say, don't you dare talk to my wife that way. Not your mom. That's my wife first, bro. Understand that once you grow up and you're out of this house, it's still me and her, bro. I love you. But I'm gonna defend my wife even to the verbal attacks of children or anyone else. This is what husbands do. You step in and you defend. Fifthly, you serve her. It's been said that men are like semi-trucks. We drive straighter when we carry a heavy load. Far too many men are getting out of their lane because they're not carrying enough weight. You got too much time on your hands, not enough responsibility. So give yourself the task of laboring working, serving your bride. Wear yourself out for her good and for the glory of God. And as you lead with humility, and as you lead with your muscle, and as you lead with respect, it is then that you are well on your way of becoming the husband that God has called